Alrighty, guys, welcome back to the Mob Squad Pod. This is episode 22. Uh, this is going to be a special episode for us because we have a very special guest. We actually have Jordan Rodrigue from The Athletic joining us today. So, Jordan, how's it going? Hi, guys. It's so nice to be back on with you guys. I'm, I know we caught up a little bit off there, but it's great to hear that you guys got a rare sunny day up where you are. And for me, I'm enjoying a little bit of fall weather down here. So it's it's been good. Yeah, so uh, so far this week, it's going to be me and Aaron. Manny may or may not be joining us. Um, Aaron, how's it going, buddy? Oh, my gosh, it's going rather well. I'm going to Mexico next week. Nice. So hopefully this COVID thing doesn't screw me over. But I'm most definitely looking forward to some warmer weather. Nice. Yeah, up up in Seattle right now, it's, it's a little sketchy. Um, I was supposed to go and have Thanksgiving in Buffalo, New York, but Governor Cuomo kind of put the kibosh on that one. So who knows what I'm going to be doing in the coming weeks, but it is what it is. At least we still have football. So the first thing that I wanted to address with you, Jordan, before we get into actually like football stuff is how, just how your transition's been coming from you were covering the Panthers, you were kind of living in the South. Uh, and now you're covering the Rams and you're living in Southern California, which those are kind of night and day. And I can speak from experience because I grew up in California and I lived in North Carolina for several years. So I kind of know how that transition went for me. I'm just kind of curious how it's gone for you. Yeah, you know, for me, it, it just really has been coming home because I grew up out on the West Coast. And so you know, I traveled around a lot as I was making my way through various jobs, working my way um, into my current role. And so I've lived just about every, you know, type of place from, you know, a, a tiny college town. Um, I actually did live in Seattle for a little while. I, you know, grew up in Phoenix. I lived in the, the tiny college town of State College, Pennsylvania, lived in California, um, actually lived in downtown LA for a little while, then moved out and then, you know, lived in Charlotte for four years and then came back. So it's been, um, for me, it's, it's very, it, there's such a peaceful feeling in knowing that I am where I'm supposed to be, you know, working toward, um, being in the, the space where, you know, my heart feels really happy and where my, my brain just works better. And just, you know, it, it's just, everyone has their own place. Right. And I just feel like Southern California is it for me. And so I was just really grateful. And then the fact that, you know, this team is so interesting and they're always relevant. It just, honestly, guys, I know I sound corny, but it's just a dream come true. And I just can't even believe I get to wake up and, and do this every day because um, it's just, you know, I, I certainly do not take it for granted. Yeah, I, I think me and Aaron would both agree with you when you say that everyone's kind of just got their spot. Me and Aaron have both had conversations where we both are kind of on the same page where we don't think Seattle is really right for us. I think because uh, me and Aaron both grew up in California, we're all just kind of California kids. And so we kind of like our sunshine. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Seattle is not it for that. So definitely feel you there. Um, the next thing I was going to ask you still kind of regarding like the transition, uh, excuse me, the transition is, what do you think has been the biggest difference in covering the Panthers and covering the Rams? And the reason I'm asking is because I feel like every franchise is kind of run like, like an organization or like a business. Um, so I'm kind of curious, is there any major difference between how the Panthers are run and how they operate and kind of how the Rams run and how they operate? Have you noticed any major differences or is it just kind of the same? 
Oh, um, yeah. I mean, it's a, that's a great question because it's extraordinarily different between the two. And I would probably say throughout each franchise, um, throughout the 32 teams, each one's going to be different and sort of take on the personality of the, the leadership that it has. And so really what I felt immediately here, and I know this was not the case in 2016 because the Rams were very much in transition, but at this point, coming into this team after you know where I just was, I feel um, such stability, and it's really interesting to me because when I covered the Panthers, I covered um, the four years, you know, the the year immediately following their Super Bowl run, then the next four seasons, and so um, it was pretty much constant chaos, right? Like they were trying so hard to keep their Super Bowl window open, but w- could not do that through. Various re- for various reasons, whether it was injuries or, um, you know, sometimes there were some interesting coaching decisions. There was also, you know, a massive ownership scandal and then team sale, and that threw everything into flux. And that was, those were some of the most um, stressful, I think, days of, of my time as a beat writer so far was covering the scandal and then the sale, and then, um, then covering new ownership as they come in. So here, um, it's very, it, it very much feels like they know this, this franchise knows what it is and knows who it wants to be in terms of, um, I, I think a lot of credit goes to Sean McVay in that regard, in terms of make, you know, establishing sort of that, that culture that you really want to run through your head coach and also your general manager. I think less, um, you, you know, you can really just see even in, if you were to run down a transaction sheet of all of his decisions he's made, you can really see the evolution there. You can really see the growth there in terms of um, everyone working toward becoming a better version of who they were the day prior. And it's not very often that you feel that in an organization, like very tangibly, um, everybody working to be sort of more progressive in terms of where the cycle of football is now going, everybody working toward troubleshooting and self-scouting and then becoming, um, you know, and collaborating and then working toward becoming better versions of the people they were yesterday, the coaches they were yesterday, um, the staffers, the assistants, the players they were yesterday. And it's, and it's everybody. It's not just, it's not like it starts and stops with those two. And it's, it's certainly not like that at all. So to me, that's been really interesting because I, I was covering a franchise that was trying to keep its Super Bowl window open and was sliding and was going through absolute chaos. And it just was every day was something different in terms of being just operating in constant chaos. And then I come here and this is another team that's trying to keep its Super Bowl window going and Super Bowl window open, but it's a complete opposite of how I felt <laughs> when I was <laughs> out there. So it's it's been really, really interesting to me to kind of navigate through that and to absorb that. And I, I really like to embed myself within a system just to get, I, you guys know this about me, I'm, I'm very detail oriented. And I know this sounds corny and like coach speak, but I'm very process oriented. So I am fascinated by even the psychology and sociology of what makes this team the way it is. So um, it's been really interesting for me to study. Well, I guess from a reporter's perspective, you were never hungry for work in, in right. Carolina. <laughs> so I guess I guess that's the good part of it. But I know, I guess speaking from a Rams fan perspective, it certainly sounds like this environment here is, I guess, more conducive to long-term success. And uh, I think we would all agree that post-Jeff Fisher, the culture and everything has gotten a lot better and it, the trajectory seems to be continuing up. So that's good. Um, 
the I, my line of questioning that I was going to go over with you today is geared more towards kind of the season, I guess, midway review. Mm-hmm. Um, but the one thing that I did want to touch on from the Dolphins game, because I could go on forever about that game and how much that game upset me. But the one thing that I did want to touch on that game before I moved on to anything else was a quote that you had tweeted out. And I don't know if it was a, a quote that he gave you or if it was just said during like a press conference. But um, regarding the loss to the Dolphins, he said, I don't think we need to reinvent the wheel here. It's just about diving into the details. I don't believe the bye week is a reset. It's about dialing in. So my question for you is, do you on do you really think that the problem is, you know, in the details or do you think the details themselves are the problem? So it's kind of a weird fancy way of saying, do you think that the play calling or maybe decision making is actually the problem or, you know, is there really just something else here? That's a great question. And I liked how you phrased it. That was kind of fancy. I really liked how you phrased that. Um, yeah, I, when I wrote that one out, I was pretty happy with myself, yeah. but I honestly was like, I don't know how else to phrase this because that was what I took from that quote was, okay, well, are, is the problem really in the details or is the details themselves the problem? Cause I feel like sometimes the details themselves have been the issue for this team, but I'll let you answer. Just a casual flex, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. No big deal. No big deal, man. <laughs> this is the only way I knew off. how to write it. I'm so good. That's the only <laughs> yeah. way I knew how to... I wish I was like that, man. I agonize over some of this stuff. But, um, okay, so I think that I think that mostly the things that are happening with the Rams are self-inflicted. And I think mostly it's execution. Because if you go back and you look at some of the play design, now, and we'll get to the calls for a minute because those certainly have not been perfect. But when you go to look at some of the play design, like some of those, and let me just be clear, I freaking hate empty sets. <laughs> like, I hate them. <laughs> I'm so, right there with you. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so three, three, three for three across three the board. Three for three. Yeah. Okay. We're, we're, this is a safe space. All right. So, yes. <laughs> yeah. So I hate them. I hate, I hate that they ran an empty set on second and one. I hated it. Right and especially against cover zero pressure. So that's a problem. What I kind of got the sense of was the design was there, but some of the different keys were not being executed, whether it was at one point, you know, on two occasions, Jared Goff should have taken a sack and he didn't um, and tried to, you know, then the ball, the ball security was in, in grave danger at that point because his arm is pulled back. Um, one time, you know, there was a second free rusher where there wouldn't have been if they, uh, if the the rusher got bumped just a little bit off the line of scrimmage, he wouldn't have gotten to Jared in time. They already knew there was going to be a free one free rusher. There ended up being a second one. That was the the miss throw to Cooper Cup that you know will be considered a drop in the you know but advanced metrics tell us that it was a bad throw. Um, and so that was a problem. Then there were some things that were functionally like should have worked but didn't. Whether it was you know, maybe you don't look to the right and you should have seen your release on the right, but you didn't, or maybe you didn't have time to get to that read because everything was happening much faster than you thought, you know, the design conceptually, this team should be able to beat that kind of pressure. They have guys who can operate in the flat. They have guys who are really great, especially um, when you get them in space, they can run after the catch. They can have those home run plays off little dump off passes. And that, that works for them, but they went to it too late. And so that's, this is when we get into 
the um, the play calling being an issue because they they to me spent too much time thinking okay, we were almost there on this last play. Maybe the next one's going to be the one that pops for us. And these guys are always always like, it'll just take one play and then they'll back off of us in terms of this pressure. Because if you beat the blitz one time, um, you know, obviously you, you guys know that you loosen a front at that point. So it, they were almost, it, because they were so close on all of these, it was almost like, okay, we'll try it again. And then this time it's got to work because it almost worked last time. And that's just not, you just can't do that when your quarterback is having a game where he just looks off from the start. You just can't do that. Right. So that was where I I think was some of the issue in Miami. Now I think overall, I think that it's the, there's some inconsistencies where the logic doesn't necessarily, or the explanation doesn't necessarily dictate a rhythm or a, or a cadence. And that's why I, th- I think you see a little bit of like this discombobulation. Cause I'll maintain that Sean McVay's best decision of the year was when he continued to run the ball against Buffalo in a deficit, when football logic tells you to pass the crap out of the ball at that point. Um, but he didn't. And I was like, Oh, this is awesome. This is cowboy football, not cowboys football, but cowboy football. Like mm-hmm. this is like, this is like, you just, you, you, you kick the door down, you know, in, walked into the saloon and was just like, all right, I'm here. And and all the players responded to that, right? And and Daryl Henderson was cooking and it was just a really, really great effort all around stellar, stellar play calling in that regard. Okay, but then you go to this last game and you're also in a deficit and you need to break pressure somehow. And yet you're not working your running backs out to the flat. You're not disguising the play. Uh, you're totally doing a passing play very obviously every single time. And it, that that's where I take some of the issues. So I think getting into, you know, and then the fourth quarter, they finally get into the short game and they do the things that work, but it's too late. So I think understanding when it's time to just move to the next thing is something that, um, you know, not, not maybe thinking, okay, the next, the next time I try this, it's going to work. And instead thinking this hasn't worked so far. So I'm going to do something different. And, and, and then also when you feel something working in that regard, like in that Buffalo game, just gunning it, like screw football logic, man, win some games, you know, like it's, <laughs> and so that's kind of, I don't know if that answered your question, but that's just kind of my, my opinion and, and sort of my analysis on all of it. It's like a combination of things, but in Miami, I do think it was more execution and less design. Um, now, would I have called some of the same things at those times? No, but the design is there. They can break a blitz. This team has the capability to kill a blitz and they just have not been able to do it. So that kind of points to execution in other ways. Apparently uh, Brian Flores is the Sean McVay kryptonite. I don't know. We'll yeah. <laughs> I, guess, I guess we'll see going forward, but uh, there might be something there. Uh, before I monopolize all of your time, because sometimes I can get diarrhea of the mouth, oh, and, yeah. uh, and I can do that. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I'm gonna let Aaron jump in here before I do that. So go ahead, Aaron. Okay, yeah. Uh, not to jump topic too much. I have a player related question, but I wanted to maybe ask you. Um, I don't know the extent of the access you get. Do you actually get to go to the home games, or do you just watch them from like a TV somewhere and make your notes there? Um, so I don't travel to away games because of COVID, but I go to all the home games and um, it's just really, really cool. Like, because that's, that's like my one small shred of normalcy because 
we all are on Zoom at, during practices. Like they'll they'll even have because we're not media doesn't get tested, but players do every day. So obviously you want to have that ecosystem be intact. So players will be sort of in this separate room and we're outside and they'll put them up on a Zoom screen and we'll kind of stand around and talk to them on Zoom. Well, when you go to the game, this is when you actually get to see things happen for real. And it's, it finally, it's like this very small shred of normalcy and it's, um, I've really enjoyed it. Oh, that's awesome. And and this is actually where I've, I was going to lead to now. How is it pretty eerie being in that huge stadium with just a limited amount of people there? Oh my gosh. It's, freaky it's like you don't want to you don't want to like leave you know it's it's almost like a it's setting the scene for one of these corny like 80s halloween movies right like mm-hmm. yeah. it's so um but and and it's kind of sad and and i know that you know this is a very first world thing but it's sad because you can just picture how much fun people will be having at these games and you can just picture how much enjoyment i mean this place is packed to the nines of every kind of amenity you can think of. It's, it's gorgeous. And even, you know, what's kind of sad to me is too, is the like empty concession stands and like all of these things that, you know, people would have so much enjoyment in. Um, and it's really weird and really freaky. And it's also <laughs> really, really odd because like, like, let's say um, the Oculus runs as if fans are there. Right. So <laughs> let, let's say McVeigh throws a challenge flag they'll like scream it over the loudspeaker as if it's, uh, you know, trying to get over like challenge. And it's that like, just seems silly. Oh my God. And it's, it's wild. And there's nobody there. Like there's, and it's just like, it's, it's like when you're on zoom, you know how, and we have all had this moment at certain points, you don't even like on zoom and you're talking to your coworkers and like you, you say something or you make a joke or whatever. And like, it's dead silent. Cause everyone's on mute. That's what, that's what it feels like. It's weird. <laughs> <laughs> no that that's that's what i had actually expected just kind of that creepy eerie feeling but one more question with regards to this the now i'm watching the game from home mm-hmm. and i'm hearing all this crowd noise and i'm like oh yeah i forget that there's nobody in the stands now actually being live at the at the game this i mean is this crowd noise actually exceptionally loud or um, is it relatively quiet and you can actually hear the players yelling their plays and you know, crashing into each other. So you can definitely hear the contact. Um, the crowd noise at the games, it's not allowed to be over, I think, 70 decibels because um, they thought that maybe it would be an unfair advantage with teams who I won't name at the moment who pump in crowd noise to their stadiums. <laughs> um, so they, they didn't want to have anyone have an unfair advantage. So everyone has to be at a certain decibel level. But I'll tell you what, it's weird because the broadcast also has its own crowd noise simulation. So um, the noise that I hear when I'm in person at SoFi is actually different from what you'll, you'll be hearing on the broadcast. And on the broadcast, um, there is a microphone that is hooked into the guard or the center. And that's why you hear the play calls. Because um, when you're up in the press box, you, you won't hear those. But when you're watching the broadcast, because there's a, a feedback mic directly correlated to the broadcast so they can help, you know, break certain things down and all of that and help with the analysis. They've got that hooked up to the broadcast. So you, you, when you hear Jared scream like water, water, or something like that, that's something that the opposing team can hear. And it's something the broadcast can hear, but it's actually not something that anyone in person in the stands or 
up in the box um, would be able to hear, which is, it's so, that's so weird to me. Like all of that yeah. is that so is strange. Yeah. That, that is very intriguing. <laughs> no, thank huh. you for sharing that. Um, now, I know we have a little bit of uh, limited time here, so I'm going to go ahead and jump into my player question. All right. I wanted to touch on the Rams second round and remind you first overall draft pick Cam Akers. <laughs> what happened? All right. So I think a lot of people saw him potentially emerging as the Rams lead running back. Uh, but currently he sits at the third position on the depth chart. Uh, his first career game against the Cowboys, he rushed for 14. I mean, he rushed 14 times. And then he got hurt during the Eagles, sat out the Bills, Giants game. Since then, he's only rushed the ball 18 times. So that's nine versus Washington, zero against San Fran, Chicago, and then nine versus Miami. So that's four more more rushing attempts over the last four games versus his very first game. Do you have any inside knowledge on the lack of production or utilization coming from cam Akers. Is there areas of improvement that the coaching staff is expecting to see from him or is, you know, Daryl Henderson jr. Just really outplayed him to the point where, and same with Malcolm Brown outplayed him to the point where he's just going to sit at that third spot. Yeah, it's a good question. It's also, I think that probably one of the top questions I think among Rams fans, because really there is so much to be excited about with Cam Akers. I mean, he's so talented and has so much potential. Um, part of it is after he had that injury, he couldn't do any, um, he couldn't really do any pass pro drills or any, any work in that regard because it was his ribs. He um, landed on the pointy end of the football and then got dogpiled by three um, Eagles defensive players. I think they were all like defensive linemen. And Ouch. yeah. And then the football, the pointy end of the football, like split his rib cartilage. So, um, he couldn't do anything. Like he can't raise his arm for pass pro. Cause it's like excruciating pain that he was in. Right. So he can't do any of the drills that set him back like three weeks of development that they really needed from him because he didn't get a preseason. And then they also do different things with their protections with the running backs. Cause as you guys know, on a Sean McVay offense, everybody blocks, right? Everybody except Jared blocks. And if someone's going downfield, Jared better freaking block, right? So yeah. so everyone does it. So he wasn't able to get in and do that work. And that's something that's really important um, that their running backs do. So I think that's why you saw a little bit more Malcolm Brown is because Malcolm Brown's a veteran. And no, he's not the ex- like necessarily as explosive out of the gap as a Cam Akers or a Daryl Henderson. And he's more of a one-cut downhill back. But he also is like such a trusted guy in pass protection and, and not just pass protection, but um, the interesting thing about what the Rams do is every play could either be a run play or a pass play. They make it look the same and then they, they check into whatever they're going to do um, sort of after they see what the defense is going to do. So um, you have to be able to disguise those things as well if you're a running back. And it just takes a level of savvy that you can only get by practicing. And he wasn't able to, Cam wasn't able to practice. Now, I think now in the second half of the season, you should see him more, barring injury. And also, um, you should see him worked and complement more with Daryl and maybe less so with Malcolm because Daryl Henderson and Cam Akers should be the first and second down guys, sometimes third down, depending on the situation. And I think Cam, more than any other running back on the roster, should be worked into the passing game as well. 
And but but again, to be worked into the passing game, you have to have your pass pro down because if the ball's not going to you, you have to be blocking. So it's kind of this cyclical thing where they would like to see him improve when he's not quote unquote or when he's operating quote unquote away from the ball. It's really, really difficult to do um, in your first year as a running back. But at the same time, it's something they absolutely need need from him. And and they without using him in the passing game, especially um, it's it's a it's a detrimental to his to their offense. So they really need to add that layer. And so I would I would assume I mean, you saw it kind of at the end of the Miami game, too. Um, I would assume that they try to get him in space a little bit more in that regard. Um, it would definitely be helpful for their, for their offense. And then, you know, I really still, I mean, I really do think the sky's the limit for this young man. I think he's, he's very, very bright and talented and Daryl Henderson. I mean, you got to be impressed with him too. I mean, he's, he is just absolutely, um, solidifying his presence. And I think, um, that's an impressive thing. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. He's definitely stepped up and, uh, Daryl Henderson, that is definitely stepped up and has taken ownership of that that lead running back position right now. Yeah. Uh, so, anyways, I'll let you jump in on it, Nick. Thanks again, Jordan. Uh, that was very that was very informative. I, Thanks, Aaron. Great. You're question. always so ge- you're always so genius with your responses. I love it. Oh uh, well, I love the questions. You guys are making it easy on me today. <laughs> uh, the like I said, I wanted to kind of touch a little bit on kind of like, I guess, like a midseason review. So one of yeah. the questions I was going to ask you was uh, the defense has been a consistent bright spot. And especially in the second half of games, they've been like basically pitching shutouts um, for most of the season in the second half. Uh, Brandon Staley, this is his first go around as a defensive coordinator. I'm just curious what your thoughts are. Uh, like what your review or grade would be for Brandon Staley as the defensive coordinator. Yeah, I mean, I think he gets an A for sure. And actually, I'm now getting notes to, uh, you know, just people making jokes like, stop talking about him so much, right? Because he is not, I mean, he's going to be a head coach at some point, you guys. Like, that's that's just, I mean, you you guys watch, I know you guys watch his pressers and you see how he coaches and like, this guy's the real deal. And so I think what he's been able to do in such a short amount of time um, with this system the way that I kind of explain it to people is so when you're a first year defensive coordinator, there are some tells that give away whether or not you're confident in how installed your system has been. Right. So let's say you're a first year defensive coordinator and you're blitzing like a crap load. That's kind of a tell because you're hiding some of the other things and the other flaws because you're being super, super aggressive and trying to dictate then that way you're padding stats a little bit and then you your numbers, you know, your your defensive rankings and everything. If if you don't get beat on the blitz, which we know can happen, but if you're super aggressive in that regard, you usually get this, you know, great reputation early on and and you know, it's kind of a, you know, it's sign of okay, this guy's aggressive and he's he he means business. But also doing things like that can hide if you're not coming along in other ways in your defense. Well, the Rams are not blitzing. They're blitzing among the least in the league at this point, actually. And when they are blitzing, they're sending Kenny Young or Jalen Ramsey, which shows a, a second level of conceptual um, install. Because some, you know, a lot of times you would see different players and maybe your safeties or whatever, but you, you know, you, you've got your, your corner who's in a completely different package than you've ever had in that star package than you've ever had installed on your team and is super rare in the NFL. 
And also you're sending in different times, but you're not doing it enough to sort of um, put this sort of these, these, these false numbers out there, right? So that's one thing. The other thing is conceptually, you can see where this defense is. And what I mean by that is like when you have star players up front, especially when you have Aaron Donald, you've got someone really solid and consistent in Michael Brockers. And then you've got Jalen Ramsey on the back end. And, and I would actually ca- um, categorize John Johnson as a lead at this point as well back there. When you've got those types of guys on your defense, you can hide all the flaws and their play can hide all of the warts that you may or may not have. However, this defense, you can see all of the pieces working together. And yes, Aaron Donald is having a DPOI uh, season. And yes, Jalen Ramsey's having an awesome season. Um, and yes, John Johnson's having an awesome season. But all of the other pieces you're noticing too. So conceptually, you're seeing where guys are supposed to be. You're not just seeing a couple of guys show up every week. You're seeing conceptually everybody as a group is where they are supposed to be. You know, minus a couple of games where they're missing tackles and they got that fixed, you know, knock on wood. But they're, conceptually, you see the plan for this defense. I, I don't think it can be understated. Excuse me. <laughs> I don't think it can be overstated. <laughs> uh, I knew what you uh, meant. Yeah. yeah. I don't think it can be – it's been a long week. I don't think they could, it can be overstated how next level that is. Because think about it. They did not have a spring of any in-person work. This is a brand-new defensive coordinator. He's running his defense. You can't even call it a 3-4 at this point because he's running a completely different system than they've ever had. The language is completely different. I mean, it's, it is like learning a foreign language when you learn a new system like this. Um, you are introducing piece by piece the first four weeks of the season, as you can see, you know, first Troy Hills in the star position, and then they finally evolve up into Jalen Ramsey, and then they move their safeties around, and you're seeing the emergence of Jordan Fuller and Terrell Burgess and um, the rotation up front. You're seeing all these pieces get put together, right? Conceptually, you're seeing it. You get it. And that is super rare for that to happen at this point considering all all of the circumstantial stuff with covid too um it's to me it's unbelievable and and if they can show up against seattle that's when i really know for sure that this is the real deal and they're going to have to like lock brendan staley in a box somewhere cuz people are going to come sniffing around for him and so that's something that i think you know obviously i it really can't be overstated cuz i the the accomplishment and and so much credit needs to go to the players because they bought in completely from day 1 and it was weird because I saw a couple headlines out there and it was like Aaron Donald got taken totally out of context at one point because um, he was like, he called the defense different. And people took that to mean like it was bad. Well, no, it just is different. And and they all, all of these players just bought in so completely right away because it's also really fun to play in because you're, you're asserting, you're not responding to what the, the offense is doing. You're asserting your own system and that is really fun for defensive players so I think that you're seeing all of these things and the players just really have taken to it um and and I think it's it's really impressive all around from the top all the way through the assistantship and also I think Sean McVay should get a little credit for this um sort of you know by association because he just let him rip he just said okay go run your defense bro like it was <laughs> it wasn't like he had to be hands-on or, or too involved or anything like that. He just, he just was like, okay, go run your, go run your system. You have autonomy. And so I, I think all of it's been um, really exciting to watch. 
Awesome. Well, color me shocked that uh, a journalistic integrity or a journalistic uh, uh, organization would use a clickbaity headline and use something out of context for clicks. <laughs> so that's, that's crazy. What? Uh, so I know you have to go. So I'm going to ask you this one last question and we'll get you out of here and you can expand on this as much as you want or as little as you want. Um, the Rams are 4-0 against the NFC East. We already won the NFC East crown this year. So we got that in the bag. Uh, but they're only one in three against everybody else. So what team do we have here? Like, I, I feel pretty safe to say that this team is going to make the playoffs, but mm -hmm. I guess outside of that, do you think that this team is going to make a deep run? Uh, I mean, like just uh, what kind of team do you think we have here? Yeah. You know what? I really do think the potential here is, is really when you look at this group um, on paper and then also watch them, the things that are kind of hurting them from week to week are usually self-inflicted, right? So I think that teams are not very often going to just straight up outplay them. I think that San Francisco uh, did a lot of things that, you know, not just from the player side, but on the coaching and schematic side too, that gave them fits. But other than that, you're not going to find a lot of of teams that will outplay this group. Instead, though, it's self-inflicted wounds, turnovers, some of the special teams issues I think have been a problem. Um, early on, defensively, the missed tackles. Now that's short up. Well, now offense is having some issues taking care of the football and actually getting the ball downfield, um, establishing rhythm, establishing cadence. Um, you can't turn it over, obviously. They're minus two right now, despite all their takeaways on defense, and that is atrocious. So that they need to um, clean that up, obviously. But I, I really think that there's so much potential with this group. I really do, because you've got so much there that at your disposal. And now it's all about not just putting it all together, but but executing. And so when those two things match up, I think that they are uh, very, very fearsome. Um, do I think that it will all match up every week? No. But if they beat the people they need to beat uh, and, and even, you know, have some close contests here, I think that they can make a pretty solid run. I don't know that I'm convinced whether this team could make the run quite yet because I haven't seen that on offense from them. But I think they could make a little bit of a run of a, of a run down the stretch. And it just really, honestly, it's all about focusing on those very small details in which they keep sort of shooting themselves in the foot. So those very small details will make all the difference for them down the stretch. I think that's fair. Uh, Jordan, where can people find your work? And I think you also have a podcast yourself. Where can we find those things? What are they called? Yeah, great question. So you can find me and um, my coworker, Rich Hammond, who's also my editor. Um, he's awesome. You can find us over at the Athletic Los Angeles. Um, you can also subscribe to our 11 Personnel podcast. And if you subscribe to The Athletic through the 11 Personnel podcast, it's a dollar a week for your subscription. And you can get our coverage and then also uh, every sport in you know six different countries at this point, um, all of that content for a dollar a week if you subscribe through The 11 Personnel podcast. And you can also find me on Twitter at Jordan Rodrigue. Uh, Come for the the bad puns and stay for a little football analysis. Yep. Awesome. Well, thanks for joining us, Jordan. We really appreciate it. And uh, I'm sure we'll do it again sometime. Thanks, guys. It was my pleasure. Thank you.